Today on Next Level E-Commerce. Entrepreneur life is is difficult, and you know society portrays it as this all ups thing. People don't want to talk about the negatives, and when you're going through some of the downs, you feel like you're the failure or the only one that's experiencing these things. You're listening to Next Level E-Commerce. Each week, we feature inspiring stories from entrepreneurs who have taken their business to the next level. They share successes and failures and what kept them going when they felt like giving up. And here's your host, Isaac Smith. This is episode 50. We're going to celebrate and I've got a great story for you today. So don't touch that dial. The best stories are the ones you can relate to. The ones where you can see yourself in the hero's shoes. And the heroes don't have it all together either. They struggle. They make mistakes. And that's what makes these stories so powerful. Are you ready for this? I've been waiting for this episode for weeks. No, scratch that. Months. And to celebrate, you guys have sent in some comments that I'm going to read and even some voice recordings that I'm going to play a little later. We're also going to take a look back and see what we can learn from all these amazing people that have come on the show. And those are just the opening acts. Now let me tell you about the main event. My guest today is a fellow traveler who's built businesses around computers, poker, and e-commerce. He hosts one of my favorite podcasts, Ecom Crew. And I couldn't think of anybody more fitting for our 50th episode than Mike Jackness. His story isn't all rainbows and unicorns, and you're going to hear it in just a minute. Before we get started, I want to say if you're new to the show and you're intrigued so far, I know you're going to love this episode. But before you get sucked into the story, make sure you don't miss next week's episode. So take just a minute and hit that subscribe button on your phone so you don't miss the next life-changing story. All right, this is episode 50. Let's get this party started. Turn up the volume. Since we can't be in person... We're going to have to celebrate the best way we can with you, me, and everybody else listening right here, right now. So if you're walking down the street, put a little groove in your step. Clap your hands. No one's looking. Okay, maybe they are. But live a little and be free. Take a minute just for you. I know it's been hard. This year's been tough on everybody. Pandemics, riots, social distancing, stress. You're yelling at your kids in a way you never did before. What's happening to this world? But I'm here to say, you, me, we're all gonna make it. Everything's gonna be okay. So just 
let go and trust that it's under control. go. Since I couldn't afford to hire a DJ, I had to be one myself. I hope you enjoyed that. Cringed only a little bit. And I hope your day is at least a little better than it was before you hit play. You know, the funny thing is, when I was in high school, there were two things I wanted to be when I grew up. One is what I eventually did become, which is an architect. And the other, which of course got left behind, was being a DJ on the radio. I thought that would just be so much fun to hear your voice on the air. And so now all of these years later, it's kind of funny that it's coming back around. And of course, podcasts are kind of like the modern version of radio. And here I am talking into a microphone. And now 50 episodes in, I couldn't be more excited with how far we've come and where we're going. It's been such an honor and a privilege, and quite frankly, totally honestly, this has been the most fulfilling thing I have ever done in my life outside of uh, having a family, really. I mean, what's not to like? I get to have amazing conversations with really incredible people who I may not have otherwise gotten to meet before. And I get to bring their insights, their experiences, and their real stories to you every week. And the feedback and the comments that you guys have shared with me, I mean, it makes my heart so big and warm. It's been wonderful. So speaking of feedback, I have some feedback from the audience, from you, that I'm going to play right now. Hey Isaac, Amy Weiss here from amazingathome.com and I just wanted to congratulate you on your 50th episode of the Next Level E-Commerce Podcast. I really enjoy listening to the podcast and I had so much fun being on it and I look forward to so many more episodes of this podcast to come. Enjoy. Isaac, it's Paul from Australia, mate. How you going? Just uh, saying congratulations on your 50th show. Amazing effort, been there since day one. It's so good to see you coming this far. Keep going. Love it, love it, love it. Get so much, so much info out of this podcast and really appreciate it. Cheers, buddy. Congratulations. And I've got a couple who wrote in. The first one's from Candace Jones. She says, I have been listening to Isaac's podcast every week since it started, and I have gotten so much value from it over the last 50 weeks. The interviews that Isaac does are always really informative, fun to listen to, and relevant to the business that I'm doing. Thank you, Isaac, for the great podcast and all of the value that you bring to people's lives. I can't wait to hear what else you have in store. And... 
Dylan Rothman says, Hey Isaac, I'm so glad we connected and I discovered your podcast. I was having some setbacks and doubts, but your interviews made me realize that others had the same exact issues and were able to push through to success. This has helped given me the encouragement to remain positive, and I now have the inspiration to keep pushing, knowing my goal is a realistic one. Congrats on episode 50. I'm looking forward to your 100 episode milestone. And I have one more. Uh, this is from Vin Ho, and we're going to do this after that wonderful background music ended because this man is so pro, he brought his own background music. Greetings from Ho Chi Minh City, Vietnam. My name is Vin Ho, and I'm so grateful for Isaac and the Next Level e-commerce podcast. Even though I live halfway across the world from the United States, I often find myself listening on Saturdays and Sundays, and for three good reasons. One, it's very motivational. Two, inspirational. And three, I learn so many techniques and strategies to apply to my own businesses. As you know, entrepreneurship and running a dropship business is a lonely pathway, and I enjoy listening to these inspiring stories that helps me to dream bigger. So even though I'm kind of at the beginning stages, I have a few stores running, I know that there are bigger and better things to achieve and to strive for. And that's why I listen to Isaac and his podcast. So Isaac, thank you very much and all the best from Vietnam. Huge, huge thanks to those of you who wrote in. Amy, by the way, you're incredible. I love what you're doing. You bring so much energy to everything that you do at Amazing at Home, and you brought it to the podcast. And so for those listening, if you want to go back and check that episode out, that's number 45. Bull, you rock, dude. I, <laughs> I have fun chatting with you in the various uh, Facebook groups and messaging back and forth every now and then. Keep up what you're doing, and I know you've got big things in, ahead of you. Candace, you've got the heart of a tiger. You've got persistence like I've never seen. Keep going, but don't forget to check in every now and then to make sure you're on the path that you should be on. Dylan, you've got amazing things going for you, man. Don't give up. Follow your heart and don't second guess yourself. Enjoy the journey because it's far more important than the destination. And Vin, I know you just showed it right here. You always bring your A game. You've got dreams and an exciting vision, and I just can't wait to see where it takes you. So I want to take a minute here and just acknowledge you guys for being awesome and for reaching out and being a part of this. Thank you so much. And now it's time for my favorite game show, one I like to call What Did You Learn? And in this part of the show, we're going to take a look back through the binoculars of time at some of our past guests and see what major themes we can draw from them. Are there any common threads? Who knows what we'll find out. So how this is going to work is I'm going to have my lovely assistant, my daughter, Lily, spin the wheel for us and we'll find out which guest we're going to learn from next. All right, Lily, why don't you give us a good spin for our first one? 
All right, here we go. Okay, Lily, what name did we land on? Kiri Masters. Oh, wow, one of my favorite ones from early on. So this interview with Kiri was actually kind of an eye-opening talk for me. Um, I really enjoyed how this how her journey really evolved from one thing to another. So she started out, if, if you want to go back and listen to that, that's episode 10 from December 3 of 2019. And her story was one of she started an e-commerce business and was just doing okay, but she figured one thing out. She figured out how to grow the store with this type of a marketing channel. And then she started helping others with that. And I think what I took from her is just how organic that can be and how fulfilling it can be. So that's sort of the approach that I've taken now with everything that I'm doing. Of course, I started in e-commerce. Now I'm doing this podcast. I'm also doing, I have a company that does bookkeeping for people. And also we're, we're branching into helping people build teams and systems. You know, so that's, I'm taking a, a page from her of learning that when you're doing one thing, you are building lots of skills that sometimes you don't even realize you're building. And you can apply that to someone else's business and, and deliver really huge value for that person. I think that's really exciting. Okay, Lily, give us another spin and we'll see who we land on next. Okay, here we go. Okay, Lily, who did we land on? Ian Bond. All right. That was one of my favorite interviews, and in fact, it's the audience's, it's your collective favorite interview, because that episode has been listened to more than any other. So that's episode 14 from December 31st, uh, New Year's Eve, actually, of 2019, if you want to go back and listen to it. It was about buying businesses rather than starting them from scratch. And it was eye-opening for me because that's kind of how I see it now. If I were ever to start another e-commerce business, <laughs> I would never start another e-commerce business. I'm pretty sure that I would buy one or at least partner into one or something. I'm, I don't think I would ever start one from scratch. And so if you want to know why and how all of that works, Go back and listen to that episode. He talks a lot about building a portfolio of businesses that you can manage with one central team. Really great stuff in there. All right, let's do two more. Lily, who do we have next? All right, I'm going to spin again. All right, looks like we got John Murphy. Oh, awesome. One a little bit more recent. So if you're not aware, John has been on the podcast twice, most recently in episode 42, and then previous to that, episode number 22. And he talked about his story of becoming the CEO of his business. And the first time he came on, he talked about he was working too much and he wanted to build a business that was bigger than just him. And he had grown the business to... A really great size, but it was all just him, and he was working himself crazy. And so, 
A few months later, he came back on with episode 42, and he shared with us how he has reduced his hours from 110 hours a week to just 10. And his business has grown a lot in that period. And he did that through a coaching program called 2X, and I had the founder on a few episodes later. Um, And they showed him how to build teams and systems so that his business works for him. And he's now the CEO of his business. That was Those were two really great interviews. Okay, Lily, let's do one more spin. Okay, here's the last one. Oh, it's Itamar Morani. Oh, that's awesome. Itamar. Man, I learned so much from him. If you're not familiar with Itamar, he's an ex-Israeli special forces, just all-around badass, and he came on the show to talk about thriving in uncertainty. How do you keep going forward? How do you lead yourself when the world is falling apart around you? That was episode number 35, if you want to go back and listen to it. The biggest thing that I took from that is something that he learned from a jiu-jitsu teacher long ago, which is be your own hero. So if you want to see a change in the world or if you want to do better for yourself, be your own hero. And I started implementing that immediately. I think about my family and my daughter, wonderful Lily, who you've just heard. Sometimes at the end of a long day or a hard day of work, I don't feel like playing. I feel like just flopping down on the couch and doing nothing. And Lily will ask if, if I can play. And sometimes I just want to say, oh, I don't, I don't want to. I don't have the energy. But then I re- remember that. Be your own hero. What would my hero do? And I think about, well, she's 10 years old. She's probably not going to want to play with me for much longer. <laughs> I've got a limited window of opportunity. So get up, get off the couch, and go play with her. So I think that really is a saying that you could put on a post-it note on your wall or on your monitor to remind you to be your own hero. Don't wait for somebody else to come save the day. You get up and save your own day. I love it, Itamar. Well, that's it for What Did You Learn? I hope you learned a lot. I hope you enjoyed this section. Oh, wait, hang on a second. We have one last announcement from Lily. What is it, Lily? Guys, it wasn't actually random. Um, He just picked them so that I could say them. Oh, you had to go and spoil the fun. Yes, it's true. These were not actually random drawings. I chose these specifically because I enjoyed them and I learned from them. Anyway, thank you, Lily, so much. I love you with all my heart. Well, we're coming to the end of our opening acts in this 50th episode extravaganza celebration. I hope you've enjoyed what you've heard so far. And now we're coming to the main event. So we're going to be talking about a lot of awesome stuff in the interview. You can find links to everything we discuss in our show notes 
at nextlevelecommerce.co slash 50. You may have noticed at the beginning of this episode, I left an open loop. Or maybe I distracted you just well enough that you forgot about it. If that's the case, I did my job well. (laughs) And we were talking about stories. Yes, stories. Stories are what give everything meaning. An object or an event doesn't have any meaning unless you attach a story to it. And in fact, you can change that meaning from good to bad or vice versa if you change the story you tell yourself about it. Stories are that powerful. And that's why on this show we focus so much. We want to tell stories that you can relate to, that you can see yourself in this person's shoes and then watch what they've done. What are the pitfalls? What are the struggles? How did they make it through them? And how can you do it too? Success stories, especially in business, usually have an unhealthy preoccupation with, well, success. And for those in the audience, it gives an unrealistic, and I would say actually dangerous, view of what success looks like and how people get there. And that's why on this show, we tell the real stories of real entrepreneurs who did the real work. And that's one thing that I have really, really appreciated about my guest today, Mike Jackness. So if you're not familiar, Mike has been in e-commerce for quite a while. He's got a really interesting story where he came before e-commerce. He was in the poker business. And before that, well, you'll find out. But he has, like I said, one of my favorite podcasts. It's called Ecom Crew. And if you're not a listener already... Do yourself a favor, open up your podcast app and subscribe to Ecom Crew. Of course, there's going to be a link in the show notes. In Ecom Crew, Mike and his partner Dave, who is sometimes on the show, but usually not, they tell the real stories of building their businesses. And they're not some guru type guys, these are guys who are actually building businesses. And they talk about the ups and the downs, and, but they get really real. Like you'll hear in this interview coming up, Mike talks about the anxiety of running a big e-commerce business, what it's like to have a million dollars of inventory, and what if you can't sell it, and you get the point. But the point is, he's really open about it, and I appreciate that to no end. You'll hear us mention probably a few times in the interview that Mike did a series of episodes on his podcast about selling his business, which he sold for seven figures. And he talked very openly about the thought processes and the emotions that went into it. That's a really fantastic several episodes. I'll be sure to link in the show notes. Last couple of things before we get into it. Mike was also a speaker at the Survive and Thrive e-commerce summit that I hosted at the end of March. He gave a really great talk over there. Of course, I'll have a link in the show notes so you can check that out. 
He also had me on his podcast recently to talk about the dangers of going all in on your business. And now, please give a huge Next Level E-Commerce welcome to Mike Jackness. The reality is, is that you know, entrepreneur life is is difficult, and you know society portrays it as this all ups thing. And because of that, some of the fallout is that you know people don't want to talk about the negatives. And you know, so over time, you know, I think we've gotten in this place where we all talk about the ups, and very few people talk about the downs. And when you're going through some of the downs, you feel like you're the failure or the only one that's experiencing these things. When the reality is, is that there's probably more downs than ups. And, uh, you know, there's a whole psychology of, of losing feels worse than winning feels good. And so, Oh yeah. You you have these things kind of compounding on each other and it can become a very lonely place. And so I've I've been very fortunate uh, to have been able to surround myself with some awesome people and be able to talk about some of these things. And as you do podcasting, you, as you know, you doing some some talking behind the scenes before and after the the shows, or you go talk at, at conventions, and you hear this coming up over and over again. And and so over time, I realized that it was actually a much bigger problem than I originally kind of gave it credit for. Yeah, yeah, totally. And uh, you know, when we get into business or when we we are excited to start a new project, it's always it's always going to be great, right? Just amazing yeah and and you might achieve that you might not but you you might but in between where you are now and that peak you know there's all kinds of treacherous valleys and all of that that you just you don't foresee and if you did you know maybe it's a good thing that we don't because we might not do those things right we really knew it all ahead of time would you run into the fire if you knew it was going to be hot (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. yeah yeah Awesome. So let's let's talk about, you know, I've heard you talk on your podcast, on other podcasts about, you know, uh, where you started and you started. In, it's intriguing to me that you started. Well, I don't know if you would say you started there, but you you were in online uh, poker for a while. You built a big business out of that and then you shifted into e-commerce. It's a really interesting story. So I'm curious, where did all of this originate? Did you always know you wanted to be an entrepreneur? Yeah. I mean, I definitely either always knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur or always knew there wasn't really much of, of another avenue for me. You know, going back before the online poker thing, I, mean, I wasn't a good you know student in, in school. I, mean, I didn't get good grades. And it was mostly because I was just bored. And I think, you know, I was AD, I am ADD and you know, I'm in my mid forties now. And these were things that weren't really diagnosed or talked about back in the eighties and mostly the eighties, early nineties as well, when I was going to school. And so I was just kind of like labeled this like troubled student or you know, whatever, and just never really, never really did great there. And so, you know, as a result, like college just wasn't an option for me. I mean, it wasn't, there, there wasn't, even if I did get good grades, I mean, unless I got a scholarship, I wasn't going anyway, cause I just wasn't the money. I grew up, you know, lower middle class, we had a roof over our heads and things of that nature, but there wasn't money to to pay for college. And so that just was never, never an option. And so I think, you know, some of this is instinctual or maybe some of it's upbringing just through osmosis. My parents are, are entrepreneurs as well. They've always been doing something as I was growing up and you see that. And, 
you know, for me, like going to work at a nine to five wasn't an option. I, I think mostly because, you know, I was insecure. I didn't think anybody would hire me, but also I just didn't think I was going to be able to make enough money to support myself, like as a cashier at, at McDonald's or, or something like that. And so I actually started my first business when I turned 18. I started a computer consulting business. I, I grew up in the A's, as I kind of mentioned, I'm just kind of a nerdy kid and love computers. And first of all, the nerdy thing hasn't changed, <laughs> but I love computers and, and I was able to build computers and you know install software on computers and network computers, things that were mystifying to a lot of people hmm. uh, in the mid nineties when I was kind of coming of age to uh, be an adult and went down and to like a Sir Speedy and bought a box of business cards for like 20 bucks and got a pager back when those nice. were a thing. <laughs> nice. And, uh, and that was my business. And so I started doing computer consulting. And the way that actually happened, I did go apply for one job at CompUSA and they were paying like six bucks an hour to be like a computer tech. And I was just like, I'm not going to do that. I, I can charge $20 an hour to do computer consulting and you work a third of the hour to make the same amount of money. And mm. so that's what I did. I was like, if I can only, if I can get like two hours a day of consulting, I can support myself. And that's kind of how it started. And that, that grew uh, over a number of years. And eventually one of my clients offered me a job and, uh, and I took it and, and I worked in corporate life for, for seven years and it was really good. It was a really good I would say five and a half of the years at least were awesome. Probably the best thing that came out of it is I met my wife there, which was uh, definitely worthwhile yes. uh, at a minimum. And yeah, but absolutely. I mean, I got a ton of corporate experience. You know, I got to see a, a fast-moving company from the inside out without having to put my own money into it. It was a, a very quick, fast-moving, quick-growing company. I was on the executive team. I got to be a part of a lot of decisions. Got to see all the inner workings of the company, and it was it was really good. But eventually you know, that entrepreneurial instinct kicked in and I eventually just left. And so that was in 2004 doing the online poker thing that you mentioned. Mm. So I'm curious, I grew up as a semi nerdy kid in the eighties as well. And I loved computers. Mm -hmm. It never once occurred to me that somebody might want to pay me to do something about with these computers. So yeah. what, what gave you that idea or that belief that this is something I could do? Yeah, I mean, you probably experienced the same thing that I did, and I, I still have this Charlie Brown like pig pen thing, thing that follows me around. Where like this is also the same thing as an adult, which is that because you know about computers, everyone calls you for help, right? It's like mm. all your friends, moms and dads. You know, you go over to their house, and they kind of know that you know how to use a computer. Mike, can you help me? You know, install my Microsoft Word Perfect or whatever. Mm. You know, and and so you know, I, I knew you know, even when I was really young that I, I had a skill that a lot of people didn't have and, and that I could charge for it, but like I could charge a fraction of what everyone else was charging and provide just as good a work. I mean, 20, I charged 20 bucks an hour and most other people doing the same thing were charging 50 to a hundred dollars an hour to, mm. to, to do something similar. And so I just, you know, one thing led to another, I would get an hour here, an hour there. I, I was still living at home. I didn't need a whole lot of money, but the biggest opportunity came from there was a computer show that I would go to every week. It like took up this huge convention center in, in Chantilly, Virginia. And you know, they would have 
dozens of, of vendors there selling motherboards and memory and video cards and cases. And again, I was like, this was like my hobby. I was super into, even if I went there and didn't buy anything, I would just like love staring at all these computer components. And I knew how to build my own computers and stuff. And I was there at one of the shows and I overheard someone basically saying like, I don't know how to put this together. They, they were there. They thought they were going to buy a computer that was like already assembled. I mean, realize this is before Dell, before Compaq, before, you know, mm. there were basically any pre-sold, you know, made computers. It's, it's hard to think back that far ago, but wow, I was like, I'll, yeah. I'll build it for you for like 50 bucks. And they were like super excited. And I walked around with them and bought all the components and went over to their house. Cause like, you know, that wasn't a scary thing to do meeting a stranger and going over to their house. And, and then the, the, the next week I went back and made a sign like out of cardboard or a piece of paper and stood out in the front of it and said like, well, we'll build your computer for $50. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah. I love it. So it worked out quite well. And I started building lots of computers. You know, I'd, I'd get three or four quote unquote jobs, like in a, in a day going there and kind of hanging around and looking for people that were looking for help building their computers. And I got to the point where I could build them in like 30 to 45 minutes. I could do it almost blindfolded. You know, I would line them all up. If I had four of them to do, I'd like get all four cases lined up and then like get all four motherboards lined up and get all the screws for those lined up and like bing, bing, bing. I'd assembly line mm. that memory, bing, bing, bing. Wow. And, and uh, just build them as quick as I could load the software as quick as I could. Cause I was always like looking for angles like that, uh, even as a kid. And, uh, the next big break that I got doing that was getting some some business work as well. So all this was like home computer users, but eventually one of those people was like, I need five computers for my, my little accounting office, uh, or I think it was actually a construction company. And uh, and that helped like lead to more business work, which was more lucrative and, and bigger projects. And, and and then one of those companies ended up being the one that hired me, uh, which was was pretty cool. Wow. And, and so how old were you when you were standing out there with the sign? 18. Wow. Yeah. I was 18 years old. Very cool. So one, another thing that I find interesting is you had this mindset early on. And so then you went to work for a company and I think at like listening to you talk about that, you were more sort of aware of the company as a, you know, with an entrepreneurial mindset and you, you're saying, you know, you were able to watch how a fast growing company works. And I think a lot of us, well, at least in my case, you know, I worked for several companies, <clears throat> excuse me, before I went off and did my own thing, but I very much had the employee mindset, mm -hmm. uh, which is like, okay, you're going to give me a paycheck. What am I required to do? Am I interested in doing this or not? But that mindset for me shifted quite radically sort of later on. And I, I find that, so what did you learn from that first company about building businesses? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting because the reason I took the job was because I was, I was getting frustrated with my own company. You know, the company I was talking about that I was mm -hmm. building, that I had built, mm -hmm. had evolved into... It, it, it was, I mean, I was working 50, 60, 70 hours a week. I had a lot of clients. I had tried to hire a couple of people to help me that never worked out. So I was like frustrated with that. You know, I was driving around the Washington DC beltway in traffic all day. And it was like really stressful trying to make appointments and keep them. And, you know, I was just kind of getting burnt out and I was ready for a bit of a change. So I, I took the job for a different reason than what ultimately ended up being the best benefit, which was just like, it, it wasn't the steady paycheck. I mean, they offered me a lot of money. 
quite frankly. I mean, they offered me a, a really good salary, you know, high high five figures to start with. You know, I was let's see, this was nineteen ninety eight. So I mean, I was twenty two mm. years old, and but I, I had I had already been working there as a consultant. I was going in there like once a week. Mm-hmm. It was like, it was like the like the one steady gig that I had, uh, and I enjoyed the people. Like I enjoyed the people there. It was it was a you know, fairly easy commute from where I was living, and I saw like how they were they were growing. There was like a lot of activity there, and it was infectious, and I, I loved that. What I ultimately ended up learning, I mean, like I didn't even though I was an employee there, like I did I didn't really have an employee mindset. I was you know also became like the youngest executive as I kind of mentioned, and and really moved up to the ranks and became you know a really you know pivotal figure at, at the company. And that's just, just like, I mean, I never took like, I'm only, you know, this is what my job description is. I'm only going to do these things like attitude. It's, I will do anything no matter, like right. I'll pick up the trash if I have to, I'll go help this client, you know, whatever I got to do, I'll do it. And I think that that was, that was very much appreciated. And I ended up eventually winning like employee of the year there, ended up taking on a lot of different roles and you know, for the the five the first five and a half years as the company, I think I was like the twenty something employee to start there. When I left there, it was like two hundred uh, employees. You know, for the the first s- several years, it was super exciting, like figuring all these things out. When I first took the job, mm-hmm. like I I didn't even know how to do the computer re- you know stuff that was required there. It was actually kind of a crazy thing to like accept this job and I didn't even know how to do. I was like, I'll figure it out. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like I, and, and so they had offices in Atlanta and Charlotte and Richmond and, and LA. So I got to travel to these different places, which I had never really done any traveling, figure out how to do computer networking. Eventually I got to figure out, you know, how to, I got on the management team and then an executive team and got to see the inner workings of like financial statements and, you know, just employee performance reviews. And we finally hired an HR person and understanding you know, you can't, you know, do certain things, you know, <laughs> that, that are highly inappropriate, like that were happening in the office. I mean, things mm-hmm. that, you know, like, I don't even want to really get into it on, on the on the podcast, but there was a lot of, you know, yeah. you know, you got a lot of male sales guys with a lot of money and testosterone that were yeah. doing things in the office that were highly inappropriate. And, you know, just understanding what's right and what's wrong from that perspective, um, putting together an employee handbook, like I said, understanding financials and, and profitability, how to work with other people as a team and, and seeing just like what, what was working, what wasn't from a management perspective and executive perspective, you know, it, what I realized a couple of years into it was not only was I having a lot of fun, but I was learning a ton. Like I, I realized, you know, I was, I was self-aware enough to realize that I was young, you know, someone had kind of taken a chance on me. Like I fell into this position that would never have been afforded to me otherwise. Like I would have needed a college degree and like, a decade of experience to like mm. land this job, but like I just happened to land it because I was in the right place at the right time, and I and I knew it. And so I think you know, partially I was I felt like I had something to prove, which is why I, you know I worked so hard. And it was like because it was always question like why is this twenty two year old kid or twenty five year old kid like on the executive team? I, I mean it would like literally come up. Like I'd be in the mm. room and they would just like, you know, like he's too young to be in here. Like, why is he in here? Like, <laughs> it's like, you guys don't want to at least say this behind my back. Like I can hear you. <laughs> um, That's funny. You know? And so like, I definitely had a chip on my shoulder from that perspective. Cause like, you know, I definitely batted above my age and got to do a lot of cool things. And then eventually the thing that started having me be disinterested as the company got to a certain point, you know, the whole like corporate crap, like started kind of percolating the surface. You had to be a lot more, formal about things and fill out forms to get approvals and 
you know, they put like satellite performance programs in and they like eventually like the year that I won employee of the year, which was like the second to last year that I was there, they're like, oh, you you aren't getting a raise this year because you make too much like compared, like they had put these like salary ranges together for each job mm. description and you make above that. And so like you weren't qualified to, to get a raise. I'm like, are you absolutely out of your freaking mind right now? Like, and so like there was, you know, stuff like that that started. And I understand like why companies need to have these things, but and so I got an understanding of it. And, you know, was on the other side of it, you know, and, and it was just, it was really, really interesting, but you know, the, the company started going through some harder times. We had to do some layoffs, which are never fun, but I got to experience that too, which came in handy uh, later in, in business. And eventually it was time, you know, it was, it was time for me to, to move on. And, and so I did that in a way that uh, was as economical and fair to, to the company I was working for as it possibly could be in the transition and uh, the rest is history. Wow. That's, that's cool to hear. And so then, then you went off and you did your, this, this poker business and mm -hmm. that's a pretty interesting thing. I think what, what made you think, like, what gave you that idea? Yeah. Yeah. So even, even while I was working 50, 60 hours a week at this, this full-time job, I was always doing a side hustle. And so one of the side hustles I was doing mm. at that time was eBay. I was a eBay seller, power seller, actually, as a part-time job, <laughs> selling DVDs. Out of, I, I, I got into a niche of selling out-of-print DVDs and coins. There wasn't really a rhyme or reason why those two things I, I found, but hmm. that's what I settled on. And excuse me for one second. <clears throat> Sorry. And and so that, that, that part's important for just to put that aside. I was like, just kind of think that even while I'm making good, at this point, I'm making six figures doing, you know, really well for myself at, at under 30. It wasn't always about the money. It was just like, I wanted the challenge and be doing something else and was, was making also in addition to the six figures at this other company, like another five figures selling in profit, selling on eBay. It was just like kind of a side hustle. And you know, so that one thing was in, in my orbit. And then the other thing I was really into playing poker, like as a personal passion and hobby, you know, it's 2003 rounders had come mm -hmm. out. Online poker was just starting to, to come, you know, come out. I was going, I was, I, I grew up in the Washington DC area. So, and my grandma lived in Atlantic city. And so I had easy access to go up there and play poker on the weekends. And I mean, I was really into playing poker. I mean, I was obsessed, I would say, mm. with, like, which is what happens to me with anything I get into. This, this was not exclusive to just poker in my life, but certainly lots of other things. <clears throat> and, um, I'm, I'm playing poker on partypoker.com one night and it's kind of boring playing poker. You just like fold, fold, <laughs> you know, there's a lot of, a lot of waiting and folding. And I was just in another browser window because you can only play one table at a time on party poker at, at that time. They, they've now got multi-tabling and all this stuff, but at the time you can only play one table. And I clicked on every tab on the party poker website. I was looking at their promotions. Like they, you know, they would have like weekly free rolls and weekly like such and such a tournament. And if you play it, you know, X number of hands, will give you a rebate and all these different things. And in the footer in the bottom, like with all the privacy policies and other crap was a link that set affiliates. I clicked on it. I didn't even know what the hell that meant in terms of the, you know, how it relates to the online world. And on that page, it said, if you send us one to nine players a month, we'll pay you $65 a player. And if you send us 10 or more players, we will pay you $75 a player. And it's weird because I can barely remember what the hell I did yesterday, but I can remember this moment as if it was yesterday. And I just wow. remember sitting there like, 
thinking like, holy crap, that is a lot of money. Like $75 a player, you know, just to send people there is a, is just a, is a lot of money. <clears throat> even though, even, even in a world where I was making six figures and doing well for myself, I just still thought to myself that that's a lot of money to get paid. But yeah, I'm a kind of an introverted person. I've always kind of believed that like you close circle number of friends I need in my life is no more than like about 10. I know I've always known lots of people, but like in terms of people that I would say, Hey, you got to go sign up for party poker and use my affiliate code. I knew that that wasn't going to be like something that could scale to, to be the amount of money that was going to change my life in some way or, or make a dent. And so as I'm sitting there thinking through this, I was like, well, I'm a power seller on eBay and I've sold tens of thousands of things on eBay at this point. How can mm -hmm. I like use that platform to, to somehow leverage this party poker thing? And I was like, you know what? I'm gonna, I can give away a book and a poker book. And the, the most popular poker book at the time was Doyle Brunson's Super System. I was like, I can give away that book and that'll cost me like 30 bucks and I'll make $45 and send them a free poker book if they sign up for, for online poker. And so what I did is I set up these eBay auctions, buy it now for a penny. And the payment was you have to sign up for online poker and I'll send you the book. And <laughs> it did very well. <laughs> wow. Um, You're yeah. offer stacking. Did you, <laughs> you, I'm guessing you had no awareness that that was a, a technique in sales. At no, that point, I, I had zero <laughs> idea that I had no idea that also that it was against eBay's terms of service, um, <laughs> which I later learned. But and it was funny because like they kept on closing my listing, and you know telling me that something was you know, X Y Z was wrong with it. And I'm not the kind of guy that's trying to get away with stuff. I always try to do things on the up and up. And so I'd fix whatever they say was a problem. Then they close it again, and I fix something, and they close it again. And I'd ask them what the problem was, and they would tell me like, "Oh, you gotta change this thing." Ultimately, what the the root cause that they never communicated was was that you aren't allowed to like kind of do a bait and switch on eBay. You can't offer something for a penny and then say so there's something else you have to do in addition to the penny. To to you know, that was against eBay's terms of service, which I again I, I didn't fully comprehend until they completely shut my account down and finally. Mm told me what the problem was, which was kind of ridiculous. But what ended up happening was, and this was, this was crazy timing. And sometimes you get lucky in life, but I did thousands of these promotions for this book on eBay. And that wasn't the, or actually, I guess it was hundreds. I did hundreds of them the first month. And then I wrote party poker and it's like, first of all, I just want to make sure what I'm, this is what I'm doing. I want to make sure that's okay with you because I don't want to get in trouble. I want to make sure I'm going to get paid. I can't afford to like float this if you aren't going to pay me. And also, like, if I send you more players, will you will you pay me more? And so they uh, they wrote back and they're like, "Yep, if you send us two hundred players a month or more, we'll pay you two hundred dollars a player." And so at this point, I was like, "Holy crap! Wow, like, that's that's really a lot of money." And so, just typical thought process for me, it wasn't like, "Oh, well, now I can make more money." The thought was, "I can give away a bigger gift." And mm. so I started giving away poker chips instead of a a book and poker chips were like super hot, you know, in 2004, everybody wanted to have a home poker game. Mm -hmm. And so this took off even more like wildfire, like a weed. And so simultaneously to this, like happening, it being like a weed on on eBay and, and doing thousands of these. Now we also developed our own website because, you know, my job was in IT and I knew how to do this stuff. And, and I also helped, got someone to help me do the programming that, that I couldn't quite do. And uh, we launched our own website called Poker Source Online to facilitate these free transactions, these free giveaways, like sign up for online poker, 
we'll verify that you did that on your account and we're going to get paid for you and we'll send you this free gift. And the thing that's crazy in terms of lucky timing, we launched that website at their like, you know, working all day and then getting home that night and staying up until like two or three o'clock in the morning to, to launch it. And then my cousin calls me, he was helping me do the fulfillment. He was a radio personality and watch. He was a morning, the morning drive DJ on a FM radio station in Washington, DC. So he did 6am to, to 10am was his shift. So he's driving in, in the work and he sees the email from eBay that your account's been suspended. So like oh. the day, like two hours after we, we launched our website, eBay suspended our account. So like it couldn't have been better timing. We had, you know, we, we had no way to sell through eBay anymore, but now we had this new website and we had all the email. I did, you know, my early email marketing, uh, we had all the email, you know, 10,000, 20,000, whatever it was at this point, probably about 10,000 uh, email addresses, all the people who had done this through eBay. And we also set up a referral program and said, like, if you refer anyone to our new website, we'll give you 20 bucks, mm. um, give you 20 bucks and give them the poker chips. And that really went nuts. And so now, now we're like in April of, of uh, 2004 and then on July, July 1st, I put in my notice. Wow. That's amazing how it just, it, this thing that you don't expect just ex explodes. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think this is like so, one of these like, you know, stories of you create your own luck. Right. And so it was just, it, it I had you know, always been hustling and doing things and, and working hard and, and trying this, that, and the other. And so, yes, if you look at it in a microcosm, it was lucky to have gotten into this at the right place at the right time, no doubt about it. But at the same time, it wasn't like it was the first thing that I tried and I just got like extraordinarily lucky. Same thing with e-commerce, right? I mean, it's we've done very well and been very fortunate, but I feel like same thing. We created our own luck uh, in this niche. Yeah. And so then I know you, there's, there's a, you grew it into this big company and then you, you, I didn't know that, I didn't know the eBay part of the story that yeah. you actually had an account shut down. So you, you actually had two major pieces of businesses shut down from, you know, things that are out of your control. So I guess the, the long story short to the, the poker businesses. I've heard you you say before that, well, why don't you just talk about sort of how that sort of wound down and you decided that wasn't for you anymore? Yeah. You know, it, just like anything in life, when, when things are going well, it, it feels great. And when things aren't going well, it doesn't feel so good. Now, I kind of mentioned this earlier, the, the psychology behind losing feels worse than winning feels good. And so when the poker company was you know, from 2004 through the, you know, towards the end of 2006, when it was just growing astronomically quick, it was really, really fun and really, really infectious. And like, I mean, I would fall asleep on my computer and, and wake up and couldn't wait to start typing on it again until I fell asleep on my computer again and, re and just repeat because it was so much fun. Like it was just, it was a ton of energy, a ton of fun. And plus, you know, I was younger and um, it was neat. It was a really fun time. But then it was, you know, 2000, April or sorry, October of uh, 2006 rolls around and the government passes the UIGEA, which is the Unlawful Gaming Enforcement Act. NetTeller, which is like the PayPal equivalent in the uh, online gaming space, pulls out. Poker rooms start pulling out of the U.S. And eventually they like government shut down a couple of sites and there was a the cheating scandal. There's like all this stuff like, like it was just. I worked harder and harder every year, but like the business was shrinking into this and it was crazy because we were still making really good money. It's never really, I mean, I, I, 
money, making money is definitely very important. I'm not going to like discount it, but it's just kind of a scorecard at some point. And it was, it was tough. Just, I felt like we were building a business on quicksand and no matter how hard we worked and no matter what we did, you know, there were, there were lower highs and lower lows, like in business on the cycle of the ups and downs. And we'd launch something new and kind of get ahead of the curve and then something else would happen. And it, it got frustrating after a while. And then on top of that, I didn't enjoy the people that were like my peers. Like that probably warned me that more than anything. Mm. You know, if you could think of a stereotype of a young male with a lot of money, making easy money, basically, think, you know, it, it wasn't just us that was in this situation. There were other poker affiliates and gaming affiliates in the world. And you know, the average one of them, I'm not saying every single one of them was a piece of crap, but like the average one of them was what you would think stereotypically, you know, and, mm. and I didn't enjoy being around them. You know, I just didn't enjoy being in that industry. It wasn't just them, you know, not just my peers, but the people that I work with at the poker rooms themselves, they were also the same, you know, it was hard to trust them. And they, they did things when we would hang out with them that I would never do myself or say myself, but you're around them and in this position where you have to kind of laugh and you know go along with it. And I was just like, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm done with this. Like I've, I've had enough. Uh, plus I was burned out. You know, it was almost seven years of my life, you know, working a lot of hours at it. And I was just, I was at a point where I was, I was ready to, to just hang it up and be done with it. And so, you know, I, we had other owners in the, in the company by this point, we had brought in some other partners and merged with some other sites. And, you know, I felt like I had some responsibility not to just like, you know, leave everybody, you know, holding the bag. And so I basically gave like six months notice to everyone. I was like, look, I, by the end of this year, I really want to be done with this and let's figure out a way to make that happen. That's equitable for everybody. And, and we did that and that was it. And on December 31st of 2009 or 2010, 2010, that was it. Never really thought much of it since then. I mean, we collected a check for quite a while afterwards, but didn't do any work on it at all after that. Mm. And just to give people a sense of what you built, how many people did you have on your team at that point when you left? At our peak, we had 66 employees. Um, wow. But by the time I left, I think we we had, it was somewhere between like 15 and 20. I don't know the exact head count, but we had we had shrunk quite a bit. I mean, the, the business had shrunk. I mean, we we're still, again, making good money. It was still a very viable business, but you know, all the things I kind of talked about were happening and just kind of chopping one leg out at a time. And we were, we were, it, it was a shrinking, a shrinking business. Mm -hmm. And so this is interesting to me that you have a couple of very important lessons here early on. One is being on, being on in front of a trend or mm -hmm. being in, in an, Something that is growing, you know, the rising tide lifts all boats, the importance of being on that tide. And then also something that I, I know that you was a really bit important thing to you later on after you got into e-commerce was having a critical function of your business outside of your control. So like eBay shut your account down, yeah. the, the government started cracking down on all this, these gambling sites and made a really major impact on that. So it's interesting, like how, how that, how did that shape what you, what you decided to do next? Was it conscious or was it 
just sort of like, well, I'm not going to do that anymore. So I'm going to go this way. Yeah. I mean, the thing that, that immediately followed, the thing that shaped what I did next was, first of all, I just took some time off. We, we bought an RV. It's kind of funny. We just, we've done this again recently, <laughs> but we bought an RV and we started driving around the country, just kind of taking some time off and enjoying things for a bit and had a lot of time to think about what I wanted to do next. I, I certainly knew that I was going to get into something else. I didn't know what it was going to be quite yet, but I started thinking, okay, well, I put my 10,000 hours into, into this affiliate, affiliate marketing stuff and I'm good at it. You know, we, we knew how to get, build websites, do SEO, get traffic, build communities. And I was like, well, and I enjoy doing that, but like, I want to do it in a quote unquote, like legitimate industry. Like even though online poker, I thought was like completely legitimate, it, it definitely had a stigma and stereotype against it. And I just didn't want to be in one of those industries. You know, I didn't want to get into, in the payday loans or, you know, something like that where, it was going to have like this, this question mark or cloud over it, or the government could pass legislation on it. And so I got into like other affiliate spaces. I bought WordPress themes.com website, hosting.com online stores.com uh, online degree.com and a bunch of other treadmill.com, which eventually ended up being my first e-commerce site. But I bought, you know, I, I started buying these keyword domains and developing them into affiliate sites that were outside of online poker. And, and did quite well with it for, for quite a while. And you know, my thought process was in terms of like what shaped me there was I do not want to be in a niche that, you know, a bank's ever going to like look at me and say, you know, we can't, we can't lend to you because of what you do, even if they don't understand why they're saying no to you. I mean, we had banks that would tell us they can't work with us or even have an open an account because we were online poker affiliates. And I'm like, well, under what reasoning for this because like we're not doing anything illegal and you know they just didn't understand I, I just didn't want to be having to deal with those types of things in my life at that point anymore and i didn't want something that the government had the potential to crack down on so you know i, I, I haven't gotten into like weed or cbd as a for instance because of this like although i think it's like amazing opportunity like i would have hopped on it like wildfire if i you wanted to take that chance but i just don't want to be in you know a situation where my business binarily gets shut down. It's like the government makes a decision one day and you're just out of business. And, you know, I've seen it happen. So it's just like, why would I want to be in this situation? And so, yeah. you know, I got into these agnostic type industries, host website hosting, <laughs> you know, online storage, things like that, WordPress themes. And uh, so that, that was immediately what kind of was going through my head at that point. And, and some other things evolved later, but that was like kind of the next step. Yeah, very cool. So I I know this is I want to save some time so that we can get into sort of your decisions to sell your business mm -hmm. and and that's that's really fascinating to me. So if we could I guess just summarize what you've done since then. I mean you've built several e-commerce companies. Do you want to talk for uh, talk just a little bit about what you what you've built? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean so you're kind of in the point of the journey I was just talking about. I'll, I'll Fast forward really quickly. You know, one day I decided I just didn't want to just be an affiliate marketer anymore. I wanted to to provide more value to the world. I was out on a hike and I was just like, you know what? Like what I'm doing here, recommending these these sites and services or whatever through you know these particular themes or storage companies that I'm recommending. I'm only doing that because of who pays me the most, and I don't really feel like I'm adding value to the world here. I think that Google's going to eventually 
crack down on this stuff. I certainly didn't realize the FTC was going to eventually crack down on it. Or FCC, sorry. And so we took treadmill.com and turned it into a into a e-commerce site and ended up selling that eventually in 2015. And then uh, launched or went out and bought another e-commerce business called Ice Wraps. Started another business from scratch called Color It. Started another one from scratch called Wall Baby. And we also owned Tactical.com as one of those domain investments from years past and started that up now as a blog and uh, e-commerce business. And so that's kind of what we had been doing for the last, you know, since 2015. And, you know, 2015, we did 1 million and we did 2 million and we did four and then we did eight. And the next year we were on pace to do over 10. And eventually like, I started just kind of having panic attacks and stressing out about where we were at. Cause I felt like we had developed disproportional risk is really what it came mm. down to. And so, you know, through those years, in order to be able to maintain that type of growth, we couldn't pay ourselves a salary because, you know, if we took six figures of the business out of the business every year, it would have hampered the growth rate. We wouldn't have been able to stick at that two X growth rate every year. And we had to keep on putting more money in the inventory. You know, at, at our peak, we had $1.3 million of inventory and, wow. you know, I just, and because of Ecom crew, I think when you, you know, it's, it's fine to be ignorance is bliss kind of thing, right? When you don't know what's going on out there, it's easy to, to ignore it. Cause you just don't know. But when you start hearing on a damn near daily basis about people having their listings or accounts shut down on Amazon for seemingly doing almost nothing wrong, that really started to give me a lot of anxiety. And in fact, mm. the day that we're recording this, three of our top four listings on Amazon today are suspended for trademark oh, wow. violations. And we inquired to them, I was like, what are we doing that's a trademark violation? They said, oh, we don't see any trademark violations of your account or this listing. We don't know why this happened. Like, we'll get it back, but they still haven't gotten it back. And I know it's mm. going to probably be like a week or two of fighting with them to, to fix this. And so you know, I know that these things were – other things like this had happened to us. Um, I had seen things like this happen to other people. And really what ended up happening was like, holy crap, like there is a scenario here of I could wake up one day and realize that not only have I gotten nothing for the last five years with the work, but I'm now holding $1.3 million of the inventory that I can't pay my taxes with and or my bills with. And I'm gonna, I could be in deep, deep trouble like if – something were to go wrong that's out of my control. And, you know, it's also ironic. We're recording this during like the COVID area era. And, mm. you know, had we kept at it for another year, that worst case scenario would have happened because quite frankly, like we would not have been able to sustain this COVID crisis in the old model we were in. We were just, we were leveraged as high as we could possibly be. And we weren't in a position to withstand something like this from happening. And we're just incredibly fortunate that the timing of this for us, I realize that people listening to this are like, F you, like I, I didn't have good timing. I'm, I'm, I'm hurting and I, I get that. I can feel for, for you because I you know how I felt just anticipating that happening potentially. But, you know, luckily, you know, the fear mechanism kicked in and, and got us to a better place. And, and, you know, and so not only are we able to handle the COVID thing, we're also handling the fact that three of our top four listings today are, are shut down kind of in stride, you know, and, and mm. able to. It sucks. We're going to lose a couple thousand dollars because of that. We've lost way into six figures now because of the COVID crisis in terms of lost rev or lost profit, not not sales, but lost profit, like way into six figures now. 
but we were able to handle that because we made these changes and, and took some chips off the table. And so, you know, those were kind of the reasonings behind, behind doing it. Wow. That is, did you, did you have any suspicions that I know people have been saying for a year or two, Oh, you know, there's a recession coming. We're overdue. That's, yeah. Was that on your mind as well? Hey, we're going to take a quick break here and I've got a question for you. Have you hired a VA who just isn't working out? Are you tired of fixing up all their mistakes? Or have you had to fire somebody because no matter what you do, this person just couldn't get things right? And let me guess, you kept this VA on for months longer than you should have. And you're scared of going back to having nobody leaving you to do all the work. If that's you, I want you to know that there is hope. This episode of Next Level E-Commerce is brought to you by Summit E-Commerce Advisors. That's my company. So let me tell you what's not the answer. Going back to work on your own is not the answer. Posting that same job again is also not the answer. What if I told you that the problem was you're actually attracting the wrong kind of person and your job description is killing you? Now, here's a true story. The last person I hired negotiated her pay down because she was so excited to work for me. So how did that happen? It starts with the perfect job description. This will attract people who are excited, motivated, and who really want to work for you. So as a listener of the show, I want to give you for free this perfect job description that attracted that amazing team member. You can copy and paste it exactly onto Upwork or wherever, and it will attract people who you've been missing out on to your job. Just go to nextlevelecommerce.co slash perfect to get your free perfect job description. Again, that's nextlevelecommerce.co slash perfect. And now back to the show. 100%. I mean, that was the biggest factor, actually. I, mm. you know, who the hell knew COVID was coming? I certainly didn't. This was, yeah. we made these decisions to sell, you know, in, in 2018, really, was when we decided we wanted to sell. And then we had to take some time to structure the business and get it in a place where we could sell one of our brands, which is what we ended up doing. And we put that up for sale in January of, of 2019 and ultimately sold on April 5th of 2019. And then in August, we sold our house and we also sold all of our stocks and put it all in gold because I thought that the economy was going to cr crack. Wow. And, That's a bold uh, move to put everything was, in one in in one place. It was like 80% of our portfolio mm. went in a, a gold in Bitcoin, basically. Wow. And then the rest was basically in cash. But you know, my, my feeling was, because I read a lot about, about this stuff, that that there was, I didn't know what the catalyst would be. Like you never know what the catalyst is going to be that like tips the economy. But, and, and just because, you know, there's a fallacy of like, just because it's been 12 years or whatever, we had gone through this, the longest period of prosperity. It's just the same thing as like putting a, you know, doing a spin on the roulette wheel. You know, just because it's been 12 blacks in a row does not mean that it's more likely now that red's going to come out on the next spin. Like that right. spin is still 50-50. And, you know, so, they, they, you know, and there was a lot of unprecedented things that were happening in the economy to like continue to, you know, make more good years happen. But 
all of them I knew were going to cause like the chickens to come home the roost at some point. You can only produce so much debt for so long or have low interest rates for so long or do tax cuts for so long or encourage huge amounts of corporate buybacks of stock that is actually the reason for the stock market to go up. And then now you're taking money out of the economy that would have gone into R&D or get people raises or you know, what typically happens with companies and, the, and that money there. But when you switch things to be a stock price oriented economy, then of course, stock buybacks become a more lucrative thing because as you're buying your stock back, you're taking shares out of the market and increasing your stock price. And so like, you know, there was a negative yield curve. There was the fact that we were printing lots of money. There was overnight lending supply issues where the Fed had to interject money in the money supply. China became no longer the number one debt holder of U.S. treasuries, and they were taking all of their money and converting it into gold, which is actually why we made the gold call because I was like, if China is mm-hmm. doing this, then they must know something we don't. You know, They're doing it with billions of dollars. Russia was doing the same thing. And so you know, China and Russia have both been selling U.S. debt and, and buying gold. China also, for the first time, like uh, the U.S. dollar has always been regarded as, as oil money because all oil contracts in the world have always transacted from day one in U.S. dollars. Uh, but China launched an exchange doing that in RMB last year or two years ago, whatever it was. And so there was just a lot of things that were like, – I can go on. I, I'm, this is not what the podcast is about, <laughs> so I'll, I'll just stop. But like I could go on for probably another 15 minutes of just listing things that were yeah. worrying me. And I was just like, you know what? Like I can't call the exact top. I don't know what day that's going to happen, but I don't want to be there the day that it, it falls apart. And so that was the thought process. I, I didn't want to have a, a minus 50% <laughs> – quarter or you know whatever like because i had seen that happen in 2008 and you know obviously right now i look really smart because like that just happened now here in early 2020 but again i didn't know covid was coming and if i but i'm convinced if it wasn't for covid it would have been something else at some point 2020 2021 whatever it would have been and i was happy to kind of put in our top at that point and be like i don't care where things go from here but we're we're gonna get on the sidelines for a bit yeah, that's, I mean, con- well, congratulations. I mean, that's amazing timing. Of course, like you said, you're totally lucky, but it's like you said before, it's not, you, you made yourself lucky or what, what What was it that you said? You, you create your own luck. So, create your own luck. That's yeah. right. Yeah. So, and we talked on in this, during the summit about sort of what you're planning to do, buying businesses uh, or, and, and also, I know that you're an, an investor in ECF Capital. Uh, mm-hmm. That's e-commerce fuel capital by with Andrew Darian. Do you want to talk a bit about? Actually, I am curious. Sorry, I, I'm going to switch gears here. <laughs> no worries. Um, I am curious if you, if there were any other options that you considered, or if you think about maybe some people who are not really hurting right now, or maybe sometime in the future when things come back to normal. Uh, I know that a lot of people do experience this worry about, you know, it's it's a couple of things. It's having an outside factor with an outsized control on your business, say Amazon, that can just say, nope, your account is shut down for whatever reason. And it's also, of course, having all of your eggs in one basket, meaning, you know, one company, one one e-commerce company and inventory and all of that. So I'm wondering for those listening, maybe they're in a similar situation. Are there other scenarios that 
would be good that you thought through? Like I was just thinking before we, before our call, I thought, well, let's see. Another thing that you could do is take some of your chips off the table, take on some investment. You could, had you thought of like really investing in relationships with professionals like Amazon lawyers who know the right thing to do and can get you reinstated really quickly. You and I talked privately a little bit ago about profit first and slower growth. So I'm wondering if some of these combination of other things would would have been, did you consider some of these things? And maybe what are some things that people could be thinking about? Yeah, I mean, for me, it was, I considered a, a lot of different options. But ultimately, it kind of came down to, I just, I, I needed to get out. Like, I mean, I think that we talked about the entrepreneurial roller coaster, right? Mm-hmm. It was it was at a point where I like absolutely needed an exit. I mean, I wanted to sell the whole business at first, but realized that that, that wasn't probably the best move. So, like, we ended up selling just color it. But there was a lot of other things that were you know kind of going on at the same time. There, I mean, it was you know the only way to really get that cash out to like kind of see some reward for multiple years of work is is really to sell. You know, taking on an investor wasn't really where I was at in my head. I mean, I, I already have relationships with all the Amazon lawyers anyway. That's a benefit of being, you know, doing e-com crew. But no, I mean, I was, I, I just, I, I needed to hit like the reset button in a lot of ways. See yeah. the seven-figure number in the bank account. And there's a lot of things that kind of are said for that. And and it's it's been great. It's been, it's been really good because, I mean, we've had, you know, basically since that, that happened on April 5th, of, of last year. And for the last, you know, let's say nine months before COVID happened after at nine months after the sale, the business that we had left behind was generating mid five figures and positive cash flow. We were putting all that money in the bank and you just switched our whole business model from being growth, 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 growth at all costs. I don't really care about, you know, seeing that reward until later to, all right, let, let's, let's see some reward. <laughs> let's like, hmm. let, let's, let's let the, you know, the coffers kind of fill. And, and so we had the money from the sale. We had positive cash flow month over month over month from running the business, which was all awesome. And then, you know, COVID now has come along and kind of wreck things really badly for us, but we're in a position to, to handle that. But, you know, just for, for where I was at the time, that was the best option. Yeah. I can totally understand that, you know, having, there are logical options that may be good here. But my, the, the moment that for me personally, that I just couldn't take it. I had to make a change was like, was when I quit my full-time job, I used to be an architect and you know, there, there's no, you know, some people start businesses and then they would do, do this on the side while they work their full-time job. And I did that for a while, but there came a point where it's just, I can't take this anymore. I just can't do it. So I, yeah, the, like we talked about at the beginning, it is that emotional roller coaster. And I've learned over time that at least in my experience, the, the mental game and the emotion is all, all of that is far, it was far more important than, you know, the, the tasks that you do. I used mm-hmm. to think it was like, oh, you just get this done and this done and this done. But actually, it's it's way more of of the the mental game than any of that. Yeah, for experience. sure. So let's talk. I'm curious. We had a really so 
you had me on your podcast the other day and uh, we were talking about uh, bookkeeping and accounting and we had you had some interesting uh, comments sort of after we stopped recording <laughs> and uh, I thought that would be really an interesting st- discussion here towards the end of our call. So, so for those who don't know, I run a bookkeeping company. We do bookkeeping for e-commerce companies. We help people with cash flow management. And one of the things that we do, not everybody wants this, but if, if we do, we, there's a system called Profit First. And essentially, that means that you take some portion of your revenue and put it aside. And that way that you, you, don't, you don't just reinvest everything and then something happens and you get left with nothing. That's sort of the big picture idea. And so one of the things that I was wondering about for you is you mentioned how over, over leveraged you were and towards the end. And if something should happen, you know, this thing could, could come crashing down. So I was wondering if you had thought about sort of tempering that growth, maybe taking less, using less leverage putting cash away and managing it that way. If you, if, if you thought that would be a, an alternative to what you ended up doing, if that could relieve some of your anxiety about the situation. Hey, I just wanted to jump in here and say that we did have a really great conversation over on Mike's podcast, Ecom Crew, about the dangers of reinvesting 100% of your profits back into the business and the benefits of Profit First. So if you want to hear that conversation, which this is a continuation of, I'll have a link in the show notes for you that'll take you right there. Okay, back to the conversation. Yeah, I mean, it 100% would have. But at the same time, you know, everyone's different, right? Everyone's personality is a little bit different. And for me, you know, again, just being on the entrepreneurial mirror ground for so long, one of the things you also get a sense of is that like, amazing opportunities only come around every so often. I, I feel like about once a decade, you know, I had the computer thing in the nineties, in the mm-hmm. thing in the you know, 2000s or, you know, whatever e-commerce in 2010s. And so I feel like, you know, and, and there's a lot of things that I did in between all that stuff that just didn't do anything. You know, I spend hundreds or thousands and sometimes tens of thousands of dollars or hundreds of hours of my time trying to do something that just ultimately didn't work the way that I had expected it to. And, you know, when you find something that, that, that really works really, really well, it feels amazing. Cause you've like now like kind of, you've been drilling for oil and hitting all these dead spots, but you finally found the oil patch. Right. Yeah. And you know, you got to kind of ask yourself at that point and, you know, evaluate all your own risk tolerance and everything and your personality. But for me, it was basically like, Holy crap. All right. This is obviously like a massive opportunity. This is, you know, 2015, 2000, really, we got into e-commerce in 2013, but I didn't really figure out the, like the holy crap part until like 2015, really. And I was like, this is, this is like, this is insane. Like, this is like poker money again. Hmm. And, but I also realized maybe because of the poker thing or whatever, but it I think that because of the poker thing and also just like applying some common sense that like this is not going to last forever. Like I am not the only halfway intelligent person that figured this out and that is going to figure this out. And there's going to be lots of people telling other people how to figure this out. And so, you know, I'm, I'm, 
running towards like this closing door. You know, mm. it's, 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 if can you, can you sneak under it before it, it slams shut and you're like locked out. And, and I like basically felt that way from like day one. This is like, I can kind of remember thinking this in 2015 as we discovered Amazon and, and just how to not just Amazon, but like a whole bunch of things that kind of came together at once to like make us a really successful business. And so the thought process wasn't like, oh, let's apply profit first here and slowly inch along and build a business that we're going to make a living out of. And uh, this is going to be like a forever business. It was, we are going to build the biggest thing we can possibly do at all costs as quick as we can to, to do a land grab, you know, mm. to, before we're shut out of, of those opportunities. And, and that, that foresight was, you know, again, it's, it's so easy to say this after the fact, I'll tell you lots of things I've done dumb. I'm not just trying to talk about all the things I've done right, but you know, that was one of the things that I really got right. You know, it was just like, I, I realized that, you know, I, I, there was things I didn't see happening, like Chinese manufacturing coming in and, you know, selling direct and, you know, things like that. I, I thought, you know, there's going to be, the 20 year old version of me who was still living or 18 year old version of me who was still living in my mom's basement that would be willing to, to do this for less, you know, they would be willing to do this for less profit. And there'd be more and more of these people figuring this stuff out and more and more tools were going to come out to help figure these things out. And I needed to act and I needed to act right now. Like, and, and that's what we did. And, you know, I don't know that I would do anything differently, especially now that how things worked out. Had things worked out differently, I'd be probably telling a different story. But, you know, the thought process was that, like, we have a limited time. We're going to take advantage of it. Uh, and we did. And, you know, what we have now as a result is a nice seven-figure cash out of one of the businesses. And then, you know, a, a remaining business that, you know, hopefully after COVID will recover and go back to where it was, but making – you know, really good money and in a position to invest in other things and take all the things that we've learned and, you know, apply it to the, what I think the future of e-commerce is. Yeah, that's, that's really cool. And I, I love that perspective, you know, not, not, there's not one thing that's right for everybody. And especially yeah. if you see there are, there, there are times when it's right, for, you know, to be in the right place. And if you happen to be there, you got to go. Mm-hmm. I love but you, you got to live within your own space. I mean, there's people that think I'm bat shit crazy for doing what <laughs> I did, you know, and I don't think that they're wrong necessarily, but there's also people that would have, that would say like, why weren't you more aggressive? Like, why didn't you go get like mm. more funding or, you know, take advantage of it even more. And so there's, you know, there's always different ends of the spectrum, right? Yeah. You know, I'm certainly going to lean, you know, one being very conservative, 10 being ultra risky and probably like an eight, you know, I, I feel like I have some, some restraints somewhere. But like, if you're a one, you know, there's nothing wrong with you. Like, you're not a bad person. You know, there's nothing like wrong with you as an individual. I mean, like you got to live in your world and you should not try to be an eight because that's going to make you really, really uncomfortable. And if I tried to be a one and go after like the profit first methodology and just slowly limp along and grow my business, I would be bored out of my mind. (laughs) And I I would also regret not taking uh, advantage of the opportunity. Yeah. But I, I think that it's a more found business model. And I think that if you're running a more traditional business, if you were to, like buying a, a Popeye's franchise or a Subway, you know, or some type of McDonald's, whatever franchise chain and trying to run that type of business, the profit first methodology is like the only way that you really should be doing it, really. I mean, it doesn't make sense to be doing anything else or if you're getting into into flipping homes or, or you know, building a, you know, a rental empire or whatever it might be. I think that 
there's there's places where it makes sense that the slow and steady wins the race, you know, in, the, in these established industries and niches where it makes sense. And, you know, it, e-commerce is, is a very difficult business to apply profit first to and and be able to grow because it like the, the more successful you are, the more money it takes. And so if you, yeah, if you want to be successful and take money out of the business, like there's a conflict there, I start like one concept is tugging on the other, but again, I mean, there, there's a reason that book was written. And I also feel um, very strongly that it's a, it's a great concept and I, and I really agree with it, but I think that you also have to apply uh, your own personality and risk profile uh, to it, especially in, in e-commerce. Yeah. And I don't disagree with that at all. I think you're hundred percent right there. So everybody, like you said, everybody has their own personality. And, and I think, you know, if you want to do profit first, there's no, there's nothing wrong with using debt in, in a responsible way. And, and what that means to you is, is going to mean something to somebody else. So, but I think for a lot of people, just de- getting in the habit of rewarding yourself in some, even in a very small way, taking just, you know, just a small percent off the top and putting that aside, you know, is, is something that people can do. And it's up to, up to you, whether you want to do none of that, do a large portion or a small portion or somewhere in between. So it, it's interesting how, you know, there's different ways that you can go about that. Mm-hmm. Um, very interesting. So do you want to talk it, just for a few minutes? We're sort of running up against the end of our time here, but I'm curious about your, we talked when you were on the summit about your per, acquiring businesses as they come up. Do you want to talk a little bit about, I guess, maybe what you're doing with ECF capital and how that might, might work. And if people are interested in, in that mm-hmm. or yeah, any yeah, other yeah, things you talk about both of mm-hmm. those things. So sure. You know, first of all, I mean, I don't think that this is anything genius, what I'm about to say here, but like e-commerce is a growing industry and I think it's going to continue to grow. I mean, especially when you're in the inside looking at it, right? It's it's obvious and you see what happened right now through COVID. I mean, e-commerce is definitely getting another leg up, but mm-hmm. you know, what's going to continue to happen is more people as the population ages and you know, the old people filter out and new ones come in, you know, circle of life. More and more people are coming into the economy that are comfortable buying things online. You know, my parents are still not comfortable buying things online. You know, my grandma before she passed a couple of years ago at, at ninety would never have bought anything online, like under any even under COVID. Like my my mother in law uh, doesn't buy things online. We're having to ship. We're having to order and ship her groceries right now because she doesn't like know how to do it. Doesn't want to do it. Is mm-hmm. scared to do it, et cetera. But the, the reality is that the trend is, is leaning towards more and more people are are getting into e-commerce. Right, more and more. More and more of the retail pie is going to happen through e-commerce sales. Yeah, and I like being in businesses that are, you know, where you're, like you said, the rising tide rises all ships. I've also been in the other way around, where you're you're trying to grow a business into a headwind or into a shrinking pie, and and you can do it, but it's you know you better try to be. It's better to be growing into a, into a increasing pie. And so, I'm very bullish on on e-commerce long term. And so, and I've already put my ten thousand hours in, so like I feel like I know e-commerce very well. In fact, I think I'm at like 20,000 hours right now or 25,000 or something like that. So, you know, I feel like we're really good at what we do. Like we really know e-commerce inside and out. There's a lot of components to it. Facebook ads, Instagram ads, 
social media management, influencers, affiliate programs, customer service, you know, just developing products, fulfillment logistics. Like, I mean, the, the list goes on and on. We've like learned a lot over these, over this time. And that education was expensive and, and I want to apply it to something. And, and so even more so, uh, want to be in e-commerce. Plus I like the people, people like you, you know, we're pleasure to know and, and to talk to and very different than like other businesses and niches I've been in where like, I wouldn't want to be doing this talking to you right now. Cause it's like, you would, you know, there's a lot, you know, if it was like online pokers, for instance, it would just be like, I would never want to talk to my peer about this stuff because they were not the best people. And so all that combined. So I think there's two opportunities here. Number one, there's companies that were, that were us in 2019 that, you know, unfortunately didn't have great timing and didn't take chips off the table that are, are struggling right now. And, you know, you got to be, if you're lucky, you got to continue to, you know, create your own luck. And so I feel like opportunistic right now of there, there are going to be uh, really great companies that are going to be selling for pennies on a dollar at a, at a fire sale because they've gotten themselves in trouble. It sucks. I heartbroken for them. Like I don't say it lately. I don't want to sound like a you know ruthless shark for, for saying it, but at the same time, as someone's willing to hand you hundred dollar bills and all you got to do is give them a 20 for it, like you're being an idiot to say no. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I think that we're going to be opportunistic and, and, you know, hopefully some of those deals will pass along our, our, our desk and we'll, you know, help people get out of a bad situation, at least get something rather than nothing. And, and hopefully long-term we'll be the beneficiaries of that. There's also, you know, there's a lot of great businesses that we were looking at before COVID and after this passes. I mean, regardless, I mean, again, I think e-commerce is growing and this is where ECF Capital comes in. You know, we're looking for businesses that we can take on, you know, let's say somewhere between like a 30 and 70% stake of ownership in the company. We don't really want to buy things outright in ECF Capital, like the owner operator to continue to run it. You know, so finding someone that's done a great job of growing their business that, maybe doesn't have the 25,000 hours that, you know, I put in or Ezra Firestone's put in or Steve Shoes put in or Andrew Udarian or the list of like a dozen juice snacky. I, I always forget all the different names that are in there, but there's a lot of really smart people that have put a lot of time in e-commerce that really know their stuff. And so, you, you know, part of what you're getting with us is a bench of all of us to come in and help you with the business, with the things you might be struggling with in e-commerce, you know, conversion rate optimization, getting your website done, helping with logistics and fulfillment, helping you get the financing that you might need. You're doing email marketing, Facebook ads, whatever it might be. We will come in and help with, with all these different disciplines and you'll have a team of amazing people to pull and, and lean on. And for us, you know, for me, it's, you know, the, the fun part is, is, you know, helping with this stuff and doing the fun stuff. Like, you know, so it's, it's fun to go in and be like, okay, well, let me help you redesign your website and help you with your email campaigns. And like, once that stuff's done, you know, I've kind of done my thing and can move on to another one and help and, and show the growth of that, but always also be around for a phone call if you need something. And so I think it's, you know, one of these rare win-wins where the, the operator has an opportunity to take some cash off the table. You know, we're certainly buying businesses at, at a fair valuation, take some cash off the table, but also, you know, I think it's better to own 50% of a hundred million dollar company than a hundred percent of a million dollar company kind of attitude. And so like the hope is that, you know, we'll be able to grow the business substantially with our with our expertise, and uh, that's kind of the plan. So we're we're doing our initial investments right now. We're about to close on the first one here shortly. Andrew just launched this at the beginning of the year, and due diligence on our first deal right now, which I'm super excited about. Can't talk about it yet because we're 
we haven't closed the deal. Oh man. Um, but <laughs> soon I'll come back on to tell you about it. Uh, yeah. I'm super, super excited about it. It's like the exact type of company we're looking for. Like it, it checks awesome. up all the boxes. It's uh, you know, a company that's been growing steadily, amazing concept, defensible, really great margins, great owner operator that that's, you know, a pleasure to work with and, and knows their stuff, but like also needs us to help them with all the things I just kind of mentioned. And so it's just a great opportunity, great business, the type of thing I want to be getting involved in. And there's, there's a couple that I've been looking at on a personal level. And so I think that, you know, 2020 is going to be a year where we make two to five acquisitions and going to be, there's going to be a lot going on, you know, out of the ashes of uh, a crisis comes the, you know, the victor, right? I mean, the, the, the last recession produced a lot of amazing businesses and the ones that were successful mm-hmm. were more successful than anybody else in, in decades. And a lot of businesses have been born out of depressions or recessions. And, uh, you know, I, I see a lot of opportunity here and I, you know, want to capitalize on that long-term trend of, of e-commerce. And that's just, again, a matter of creating your own luck and being at the right place at the right time. I mean, luckily in 2012, 2013, we decided that we wanted to get into e-commerce and, you know, the reasoning behind it at the time isn't the same reason now. I mean, the reason at the time was like, I just don't want to only be an affiliate marketer. I want to provide more value to the world and, and actually control the experience from start to finish. And just thought that that was a better place to be than affiliate marketing. But what I've realized is that it was even more, uh, it was lucky, you know, and smart that we just kind of fell into that because I think that, you know, e-commerce is, is obviously going to continue to grow. So excited. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, you know, it's a crazy year, but it's also really exciting. A lot of opportunity. And if you take it as a challenge and opportunity, I mean, that seems like a great adventure to me. Mm -hmm. Yep. Great. So, Hey, if somebody, if people are interested in what you're doing, you have a lot going on, man. You've got Ecom crew, which has a, a amazing podcast. As I've mentioned, you've got courses, you've got uh, where would you suggest people go if they want to want to reach out and say hi or find out more about what you're doing or or contacting you about maybe an acquisition? Um, yeah. So Ecom Crew is really the best place to listen and reach out. I mean, there's a blog, a podcast, courses that you mentioned, ecomcrew.com, Ecom Crew on all the social handles, Ecom Crew is a podcast. And also to contact me, support at ecomcrew.com is the best way to reach out. You know, the way that I'm able to do all this is because we have an incredible team. So when you reach out through that email, they make sure that I get the ones that are important and that I respond to them and they handle the stuff that I don't have to respond to. So I mean, team has definitely been the reason we've been able to, to do as much as we do. Uh, it's taken a lot of time to build it, but we have an amazing group of people that, that I work with that I'm proud to call friends and employees and peers and all those good things. So yeah, that's where that's the best place to find us. Awesome. Yeah. So, and actually, if you guys are interested in, in learning more about, especially, I found it really fascinating the series that you did on the podcast about the sale of the business, and you mm-hmm. went really deep into a lot of that stuff. And so, I'll have links to the, those to those episodes in the show notes. And so, if you're interested, uh, go ahead and check those out. And so, Mike, thank you so much. This has been so much fun. Thanks for coming and, and sharing your your story and your time with us. Yeah, happy to do it. I love, like I said, we're both nerds. So I love chatting about this stuff. And uh, even if it helped just one person a day, I'm, I'm happy to have done it. Huge, huge thanks to Mike for sharing his story and going deep into some of these topics that I know for some people 
are kind of uncomfortable. So, if you've learned something from Mike, if you've learned something through his story, and maybe you can see your future just a little bit differently because of it, make sure you do a friend a favor. Think of one friend that could use this message and share Mike's story with that friend. And you know what? Did you enjoy this episode? This 50th episode extravaganza, all the fun stuff at the beginning? If you did, do me a favor and please share this episode with two, three, or even five friends. But don't go away. We're not done yet. We're coming to the end and we're going to go out big. Let's bring that music back. This is it. Clap your hands. Enjoy yourself. I've got some very, very special people that I need to tell you about because this, what you're listening to right now, would not be happening if it weren't for them. At the top, my amazing, stunning, beautiful, intelligent, wonderful wife, Lauren, who somehow came along with me on this journey and supported me all the way. You hear her voice at the beginning and end every episode. To my daughter Lily, you're my dream come true and my greatest treasure. I love you. To my parents, Kenny and Renee Smith, who support me without batting an eye. And a special shout out to my mom. I know she's been dying to make horribly embarrassing comments about her son who has a podcast and it's taken a lot to hold it in. So thank you, mom. But you know what? I think we can handle just one. So use it wisely. Let me tell you about the boys in my mastermind. Without these guys, I would not even be here. They call me on my crap, tell me when things aren't working, and force me to move on. You guys are awesome. Rich, here in the PDX. Max, up in Vancouver. Larry, in San Diego. Jim, Who knows where he is? And Jeremy, starting a new life in Montana, I wish you all the best. Special shout out to Anton Crelly and Dropship Lifestyle. You set me on this path. Thank you, brother. And how could I end this without a big, big thank you to my grandma, Frances Smith, for all her guidance along the way. She's 93, and she's amazing. A huge huge thank you to everyone who's given me guidance and advice over the years. I'm not a self-made man, and I know it. And to you, dear listener, thank you.